0: Welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where freelance discuss all things English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll take a look back at the weekend's Premier League action, including the return of Kevin De Bruyne, Man City's last-minute win against Newcastle. and We'll then review the rest of the EFL action, including wins for Ipswich, Leeds, and Pyramid Pod Cup holder Southampton, while Leicester lose at Coventry. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Laurie, we spoke on the last pod about Eddie Howe's kind of role at Newcastle, um and potentially the, the two-week break that they got now if they had a poor defeat against Man City, they did lose
1: the game, but they weren't that poor in it, I didn't think. No, it's a really good game. I only suggested that he might be in trouble over the two weeks if they got battered and that sort of consolidated the murmurs around his position at the moment and their lowly, we we'll say lowly league table, Com- you know, compared to the last season or so, it feels low, but it's still okay for Newcastle in the bigger picture. But they gave him a really good game, didn't they? And two good goals from Isaac and Anthony Gordon, both of who have been firing this season when they're fit. Um, Two players that uh, they've needed to sort of carry them through this tricky period. And if they had a couple of their other starters available, um, then maybe it would have been slightly different. But obviously the difference in that game was Kevin De Bruyne um, coming back and making an unbelievable assist and scoring a brilliant goal. And the goal that Kevin De Bruyne scored, Um, I know we'll come on to Man City, but I'll just say now, I think he's the only player in world football that scores that goal, where he just seems to pass it at his own pace into the corner and the keeper can't do nothing about it. You don't really see anyone else scoring goals like that. So, a bit of magic, won it for Man City, but it was a really competitive game, 3-2, no problem with that. And although I think they sit in 10th now, maybe Newcastle, for for their winter break, um, I don't suspect Eddie Howe will be in trouble of losing his job just yet.
0: Tomo, obviously Laurie touched on there about Kevin De Bruyne coming back, a uh, big win for Man City. And we were just talking off air as well about their upcoming fixtures and uh, looked quite favourable for City.
2: Yeah. And it is scary, really. Um, looking at De- Kevin De Bruyne on the weekend, he just looked unbelievable. Not missed a, um, not skipped a beat. Out for five months, comes in. And I know, I know he played the FA Cup the other day, Um 20-30 minutes and he got he got an assist then as well didn't he but obviously this is the, the Premier League bit of different kettle of fish and come on and completely change the game it just looks unbelievable and that ball to Oscar Bob and it's hard to work out whether the pass was the best part of the move or whether Oscar Bob's sort of touch and trickery around the keeper to tap home was most impressive probably that because actually when Oscar Bob came on I was I think Laurie you put in the WhatsApp group that you were surprised and I was equally a surprised that he didn't bring on Jack Grealish. Um, but Oscar Bob looks like a player, 20 year old Norwegian international already. Um, looks like they've got another one coming through the ranks and just shows earlier on in the day, City were getting a bit of stick because Cole Palmer scored Chelsea's winner. And everyone was saying, once again, why did they let him go? But just shows that City have always got players coming through. Um yeah, and like you say, just touch on City's upcoming fixtures. They play their next five games against bottom half opposition, and four of them are at home. So you fully expect them to get five wins out of five. I know Erling Haaland's suffered a setback in his in his um, comeback from injury, but with De Bruyne back, Doku back, they seem like they seem well. They seem like they don't really need him. Um, I know it was a close game on Saturday, but it was really scary to see city get that win because like you say easy win of easy run of fixtures now so you expect them to to get 15 points out of 5 games and then maybe then they'll be clear at the top of the premier league by that time and and it's sort of everyone's looking up at them which is scary hours when you think if they win the title this year it'll be the sixth title in 7 years which is complete dominance yeah
0: it is um, Oscar Bob, as you just touched on, uh, Guardiola was saying after the game that um, the sporting director um, went went along to like a, a tournament that happened in the youth league last year. Um, and Oscar Bob was the best player. And Pep Guardiola basically said to him, right, just come to pre season with us to Japan then. And he's been brilliant. And he said, if he can keep him happier than Cole Palmer, he actually name checked Cole Palmer. So if we can keep him happier than Cole Palmer... And we've got a player there for many years to come, but I think he's like kind of calling out there to Oscar Bob that look, you're not just going to be starting week in week out, but you're a player we want at Man City for years to come. But their academy's obviously been set up in the last decade, absolutely flying, keep producing gems. You have got like Rico Lewis as well, who's come through it. Um, Cole Palmer, obviously we've touched on, um, Oscar Bob now, so and plenty of others. So yeah, scary really that they've got the buying power they have to go and pluck players when they desperately need. Uh, a player but also now pull them through their academy as well you just hope that it's not turning into a Bayern Munich style domination of English football in the next decade
2: yeah well I remember I went I worked for a um, watch company about into was in 2000 I want to say 16 but maybe I'm getting the years mixed up but it was Phil Foden's first pre-season um, that he went along with Man City and he and he looked unbelievable Phil Foden but I remember there was a bit of talk during that pre-season about Jaden Sancho not going. And that was the season um, or the summer that he left. But Pep Guardiola left him at home and brought four academy products with him, one being Phil Foden. I can't remember the other three. I don't think they've quite um, hit the heights, obviously, that Phil Foden has. But it was interesting because Jaden Sancho, even back then, was known as their biggest talent coming through the ranks but Pep Guardiola obviously saw back then something that seems to have played Jaden Sancho's career which is maybe he's not quite got the attitude um to make it and Phil and if you look at Phil Foden's sort of rise to first team stardom now he's like first one of the first team one of the first names on a team sheet now but even he's what 21 22 he's had a slow progress he's not always played but and he's never gone out on loan but you can tell now that he's he's almost ready to be that world-class player. Um, and I predict Oscar Bob to do exactly the same if he's remains patient because he's obviously got all the attributes to succeed at City.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. On I was going to say that if you didn't with Foden, he's been in around the first team for seven or eight years now. And we've always thought he was class. He's always had a brilliant reputation, but only really in the last two years. And even now, he's not guaranteed a start. Do you know what I mean? So, A, talent, which obviously all these boys have got. But secondly, at Man City, you need to apply yourself in the Pep Guardiola way. And I think Cole Palmer, it's not that they didn't want to keep him, was it? It was the fact that he wanted to go and he probably thought, I ain't interested in coming in and that side all the time. And unless your name's Erling Haaland or Kevin De Bruyne or Edison, you pretty much are, aren't are guaranteed a first-team spot. Even the, you know, the experienced defenders always get moved around and stuff. So... Good point. It's the ones that want to knuckle down and do it the pep way. And that's the good thing about having a manager that has a philosophy and a, a process in his mind. You don't question him, and then you'll grow. He'll grow you as a player, and you'll end up succeeding at Man City. The ones that don't will drop off along the way. And Jaden Sancho is a good example. And Cole Palmer, maybe in a different way, because he's actually doing very well um, where he is. But so did Sancho when he first left, and it all came crumbling down. So. Yeah, good point. And uh, hopefully Oscar Bob will be on the Phil uh, Fode at end of that spectrum.
0: Just on that Cole Palmer point there, Laurie, do you think that there's like something to be said that he's like said, oh, I don't want to go about it the City way. I don't want to potentially just be coming off the bench. Would probably go on to pick up quite a number of trophies, but it's gone to Chelsea instead, where less likely to win trophies, but more likely to be starting and playing football. Do you think There's something to be said that he's kind of, Kudos to him and credit to him for making it a little bit more difficult for himself by going to to Chelsea? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Or, Or do you think that it's more, maybe a little bit more of an attitude thing where it's like, I don't want to stick it out at City and try and grip myself into that first team and be like a world star for a team that's going to win lots of trophies?
1: Yeah, probably, probably a bit of both. I mean, it's a risk leaving a club like Man City where you know you're going to get the best coaching in world football and you're not going to become a better a better player somewhere else, but you might have more opportunity to start more regularly and put yourself in the headlines more often and maybe give yourself more of an opportunity with playing for England or whatever. So um, the, the thing is, it's all relative to the moment, isn't it? Right now, Cole Palmer looks a world-beater. Um, he's been so impressive in the last few games. So you start thinking to yourself, well, he's obviously made the right decision. But if he was in a poor run of form, you'd be thinking, well, you should have stuck with Pep, mate. So it's all contextual, isn't it? At the moment, Cole Palmer, I think, has probably made the right decision for him because he's starting to be thought of as a player that might go and play for England, even in this Euros. Whereas if he was at Man City, he wouldn't have had enough game time to be considered, I don't think.
0: So, Tomo, let me pose this question to you then. If you were Cole Palmer... Would you rather be coming off the bench for Man City, but obviously likely to win, pick up a Premier League medal or two, likely to pick up a Champions League, League Cup, FA Cup, World Club Championship, um, getting similar amounts of game time to what you're seeing Rico Lewis, maybe the likes of like Jack Grealish get at the minute? Or would you rather be playing week in, week out at Chelsea, who are having a difficult spell, can't can't, you know, detract from that over the last couple of years, but potentially looking to fire them back up into the European places and being
2: one of the main men? Um, Well, the thing is with with Cole Palmer is when he went to Chelsea, um, I don't think many people thought he would be the main man this early on, but he's really stepped up um, since he's been there. And I was watching him, um, I was watching him against Fulham and I thought he, he was really enjoying that sort of main man status. A little bit like, I know I'm not going to compare Chelsea to Crystal Palace, at all, the size of the clubs are way different but a little bit like Wilfred Zahara at Crystal Palace where you've got that that main man status and, and obviously I do think it's been a great career move for him um, what we Will say is Palmer he admitted in a recent interview that he didn't want to leave um, City permanently, he wanted to go out on loan because he wanted to get the games um, and he wanted to play every week but City being City, good business operation that they are Um, decided that they could sell an Academy product for 40 million. And obviously that 40 million goes straight onto your books and it helps with the FFP stuff. So I just think sometimes it's just a rare case of almost a win-win for everyone because man, it's not like Man City are struggling without him. And like, like we just touched on, they've got Oscar Bob coming in and he seems like a great prospect. They signed Doku, who's obviously very talented. Phil Foden's, a year more experienced and looks like an absolute world beater at the moment. So it's almost one of those transfers that ticks all the boxes for everyone and just sort of crack on. Um, Cole, like at the end of the day, Loro is right with Cole Palmer in terms of it is a moment in time right now because he is playing well. Um, Chelsea ninth, City look like they're gonna could win the lot again. Um, so maybe address it in a couple of years' time to see if. Cole Palmer's won anything with Chelsea, whether he's broken to the England team and all of the rest of it.
1: Yeah, because the other thing is Cole Palmer's shining and he's the main man in a really poor Chelsea attack. Like, they can't score goals. He's the only player that really creates anything other than maybe Sterling. But other than that, you've got like Brozier playing, Jackson waiting for Nkuku to come back. He's shining in a side that he probably shouldn't be Starting as many games or being the main man and if Chelsea were at Chelsea's usual level but they're not they're like a mid-table team at the moment aren't they Chelsea so again another one to address and I think you know man's the Man City way isn't really to send their best youth players out on loan is it Phil Foden never went on loan so amount of times championship teams and other lower Premier League teams wanted him but the best school for a Man City player that's going to play for Man City is to stick and watch and play train with Pep Guardiola, isn't it? So if they think they're going to make it, they've got to stay with City because they'll feel that that's better experience than going to the Championship for a year and getting kicked. So, um, yeah, like you, I said, probably a win-win, but time will tell with Cole Palmer.
0: I think in Man City as well, Laurie, just to build on your point there, is that every youth team has like got the Man City style of play to go up through. So he'd rather an 18-year-old be playing for their under-18s, under-23s than going out on loan to a league one or championship side. And what Pep would probably say, picking up bad habits on style of play and things like that. So yeah, City are a slick operation. And just finally on City, heard earlier that Rodri has not lost in his last 50 Man City games. Obviously he's um, back from his suspensions and and back in that team. And no surprise that Man City have started winning again since that. you got KDB back and everyone saw what he did on Saturday and as Tomo said, he has had a setback, but Harlan not too far away. So I think it's going to be scary for uh, the rest of the Prem when, when Haaland's back in and KDB starting and if Rodri can keep himself on the pitch. So might be, a, as you say, six and seven title-wise coming up for them. Another game from the Prem, uh, Tomo, United to Tottenham too. Um, I think Gary Neville had a point after the game, just touching on uh, the, the people who were missing from Tottenham for that obviously good for United, Hoyland scored, Rashford scored, but do you think a full strength Spurs would have won that comfortably?
2: Yeah. And even, even the weakened team should have won it really. It was a case of a very well coached team against a team that play in moments and rely on individual brilliance and counter attack football where potentially Rashford can go one-on-one Garnacho can go one-on-one and produce something. Um, to be fair to United, they took their both their goals really well, but they were completely dominated by a weakened Spurs team. And I did say before before the weekend, on Thursday's podcast, that like I said, it's hard to predict, Man United, the only thing about the result, but the only thing you can predict is that they'll play poorly. And I wouldn't say we played that bad. I just thought Tottenham were better. And it, like I just said, it was an example of a very well coached team. Um, even though they got missing players like Yehoisberg and Skip did well, and they come in and and um replace Basuma and Saar, and they obviously play the same way. And Timo Werner had two training sessions, um, played on that left wing, and he and he was okay, wasn't He, he Did it right? And not only was there the players, all of those players missing that we spoke about, and um alluded to after the match that they had a virus running through the squad. Um, in the week and Kul- that was the reason why Kuliszewski was missing so they've obviously had their issues and they've come to Old Trafford and pretty much battered us, they've had more shots, more shots on target I think it was 64% possession um, higher XG they dominated the game on all of the statistics the biggest worry for me this season with Ten Hag is that he comes out after, after these games and he he almost describes a game that no one's watched. He goes, "Oh, it was a great game. Man United should have won it. Uh, like we dominated or we were in full control, all of that sort of stuff. and it's just like, what game did you watch mate? Um, so yeah, like I just said, Spurs completely dominated and probably feel a little bit aggrieved they didn't get the winner.
1: Yeah, f- for me, from the game that I watched, it epitomized both team seasons in the fact that Spurs were so enjoyable to watch. They had lots of injuries. They had lots of possession. I thought they should have won the game, but they didn't come away with what they deserved. And for Man United, had 30-something percent possession at home and got battered, but still came away with what ended up being a good point. Against Spurs, and we always look at the table and think, "Our, our United? I know seventh for eight for whatever you are isn't a great position for Man United to be in, but you wonder how they're above some of the other teams that you like. I feel like Newcastle are a better side than Man United, but United are just there, and it's because they chip away these results. Um, but yeah, Eric Hag, if he made comments like that after the game, then that's just another nail in the coffin for me. I think the bloke's are complete fraud.
0: I've seen um, a few pundits now have like come out on like recent shows, um radio hosts or, or podcasts have said that Ratcliffe needs to act now and basically put Ten Hag out of his misery. Like it, he's like absolutely completely out of his depth. And there's still a chance at the minute because of almost, because there's so many clubs that are in the European fight. Everyone seems to drop points to everyone. So United have been absolutely terrible, but still aren't out of it to get like a Europa place. There's been talks about fifth place, getting Champs league potentially. Um, and, though it's been absolutely horrendous, even in the games that United have won, as we've alluded to, they have picked up points playing poorly. Could you act now and someone potentially turn it
2: around to, to, to get a European place? Tommy? No, look, they need to look like have a proper look under the bonnet first. And actually I think their and I've read in on multiple reports that their priority is a sporting director. You can't hire a new manager before you hire a sporting director. You need you need the sporting director in, who will then decide on the the objectives and the aims, the philosophy that you want to go by, and then the manager targets that you want to. Um, I guess if you wanted to replace Eric Ten Hag, who you want to go for next? So it needs to be sort of a case of priorities first, sporting director first, um, and then potentially look at your manager. I'd, the case in point in or an example of why you shouldn't do something like that is sacking Oligon of Solskjaer when he when they did, and then bringing in an interim like Ralph Randnick, and we all know how that season went. These players, they're not responding well to a full-time manager. They will not respond well to a substitute teacher like Ralph Randnick or like whoever will come in um if they sack Eric Ten Hag now. They the only way to the only responsible way to get rid of Ten Hag would be if you had a adequate replacement and a long-term replacement. Um, it just doesn't seem that that will happen anytime soon, I don't think. I think Ten Hag's got a couple months and usually with United sackings, it's when the Champions League is mathematically out of reach. And that's I always think that's because they put something in the managerial contract to say, if you don't qualify for the Champions League, you will get sacked but you won't get paid your full amount of... Do you know what I mean? You won't get paid your full contract or something like that. I know that's speculation, but it does seem that way.
1: They were saying on TalkSport today that Man United, they're probably not expecting them to splash any kind of cash in the January transfer window under Ratcliffe. I know they don't seem to have an awful lot of money anyway, and it's usually loans, but they were saying that it's they've probably already written off Champions League for this season and that just allows them a a chance for the next six months to look under the bonnet, like you were saying, and probably assess what they need to do ready for next season. And although it feels like every single year we say United have got to write off this season and go again next season, if we've got someone like Ratcliffe coming in and they do appoint someone decent in a position of like the sporting director for a change, then maybe we actually will see tangible differences next year and a genuine... Title Challenger or Champions League Challenger and just a team that people like watching because the other thing about Man United is they're just so crap to watch. Yeah. You never enjoy a Man United game unless it was those random ones in the Champions League away from home this year where every single game was four all, four free. Um, generally speaking, you watch Man United and you know you're gonna be bored for ninety minutes. So um, change needed. But now we're at a point where, like you say, you don't want the likes of Ralph Ragnick coming in and just upsetting the apple cart even more. You might as well take the rest of the season. Now you probably get Europa League um, because you do seem to carve out results here or there, but you can use this time to assess um, and then apply in the summer what you think needs to happen. Yeah.
0: Oh, Laurie, obviously, Yeovil fan, Leeds fan, Tottenham fan, um, New England Patriots <laughs> fan. Um, Golden State Warriors fan but just back to your Tottenham hat for a second watching that with Van der Ven and Romero back yesterday, obviously Sonny to come back in um, midfielders at AFCON to come back in Gary Neville said that with no European football to worry about that they can go and have a better season now than Liverpool and Arsenal and obviously we spoke uh, last week on the uh, on the pod about Tottenham potentially going on to win the title or me having a bet on it um, just your thoughts on that
1: yeah, well, they're in a good position going forward, aren't they? Like we said at the start of the season, when they were in that good run, we thought oh, they haven't got any European worries to um, think about either. But then then came the injuries. But what's actually um, transpired within this sort of last two or three months when they've had loads of suspension and injuries is that that Ange process works. He can fill square, with, uh, square holes with square pegs or whatever it, the saying is every time and they can play the same way. So the quality may may vary um, from if you've got Son in there to if you've got Werner in there to or if you've got Skip in there to if you've got Basuma in there, but the philosophy and the way they play is the same. And what you get then is an identity that the fans can get on board with. And then when you go and play well but don't get the results, you don't get everyone calling for your head all the time because people were pleased with what they're seeing. And you're right. When the likes of Son, Madison, Kulazeski, Saab, all of which who were out yesterday, come back into the fold and adds to what was already a dominant Spurs team away at Man United. You're going to be seeing a proper contender. I think probably for the very upper estrials of the Premier League It's always difficult, difficult to say winner because Man City are so good and have been so consistently, but they've done something very, very right this season. And a lot of it revolves around Ange Postacoglu and the way that um, he's got his team playing in the same way every week, in the same format, regardless of the personnel. And the other thing I just wanted to say on Spurs is, um, you mentioned the two centre-backs there, but, and I've, we've mentioned Destin and I think we had him in our half-team of the season. Pedro Porro on the other side looks an absolute well bit of a right-back. If we did our half-team of the season again now, he'd be right up there for me with your trends. So... Um, lots and lots of positives for Tottenham and obviously they'll want their best players back into that fold as quickly as possible to see what they can do, see what damage they can inflict on the rest of the league for the rest of the season but exciting times
0: Yeah definitely, i uh, say so I think that you no know, European football is going to be absolutely huge for them um, and obviously Man City as we spoke about are looking ominous but if they were to slip up a bit uh, and Liverpool are going to go deep in, into the Europa League I'd imagine playing on Thursdays I think Spurs might be chomping at the bit if they can keep their uh, starting 11 and, and their small squad relatively fit. Boys, other end of the table, Burnley won, Luton won. Uh, one kind of major talking point from that game, uh, the VAR decision. I actually uh sit a little bit different to the majority of people here and don't think that that is a clear cut foul on the keeper. Um, Loro, obviously disappointing result for company, big point for Luton, but just your thoughts on on that decision
1: Um, I haven't seen it, so I was <laughs> just trying to find it on my phone as you asked me, but I haven't seen it, I've heard that there's been loads of uproar and there was a collision wasn't there between um Trafford the goalkeeper and a, a Luton player as as cottle Morris headed it home, but um listen, over the course of this, we've spoken about VAR many, many times, don't need to do it again, but over the course of the season there's an element of making your own luck and Burnley draw and lose football games way too often and this is just another one and Luton score a lot of late goals and don't give up um, and keep going to the end so I didn't watch that game so I haven't seen the uh, that actual incident but I would imagine that Luton were probably well worth a point and it doesn't surprise me that Burnley have dropped more we said it was a must win for them and I think they're resigned really to relegation now because we're, we're, we're going to be, by the time they play again, it's going to be the end of January, start of February. All of a sudden, you've got less than three months to implement um, a game plan that's going to get you enough points to stay up. And I just think there's too many other teams that will have more about them to do it. So for Burnley, I think it looks a little bit like the 2012-13 one for them, where they have to drop down the league again, regroup, come back up and try and do better next time.
0: Tomo, hopefully someone who has seen that... uh VAR decision
2: and just your thoughts on it. Well, basically, look, look, I'm fully against VAR. So the referee gave the foul. Oh, sorry, didn't give the foul, he gave the goal on field. And therefore, I'm fully happy for that goal to stand. Um, But if you're going to use VAR, then in my opinion, it was a foul. Um, The Luton player stepped across the goalkeepers. Um, path with no intention of playing the ball um, and he knew exactly what he was doing so he blocked the goalkeeper in essence and we've seen plenty of times over the Premier League that sort of a block a, sort of a blocked attempt at a corner or a set piece can be a foul or can be a penalty um, and usually the weird thing is usually goalkeepers they're a protected species aren't they so usually they they get given fouls Far more softly, but um, look, yeah, I, I do think it was a foul. But at the end of the day, Luton, lo- like Laura said, Luton did fully deserve their point. They played really well, and Burnley didn't. So, um, and some sometimes I'm 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 just happy that VAR didn't didn't come in and um, set, guess ruin the decision or whatever. But if you if you if you if you take VAR. As a whole, on the weekend, you look at the the Aston Villa goal, Moreno, and it took four minutes for that to be disallowed. And OK, it might have been the correct decision in the end by a couple of milliseconds. But for to take four minutes is absolutely shocking. No wonder the Premier League is ravaged with injuries at the minute when you've got players standing around and getting cold four or five minutes at a time when when the VAR decisions are getting made. Um, Hopefully, that will change next year with um, the offside technology coming in, um, which will make it more of an automated decision. But yeah, um, I've not got too many gripes with the Luton one, to be honest.
1: I've just watched it. Um, I, I agree. I don't want that being overturned if it wasn't given as a foul on the pitch by the on-field referee. And I, I also am not impressed with the Burnley goalkeeper. Um, I assume it was James Trafford's play, and I think it was. I just want my keeper up and win. Do you know what I mean? Why why is he going down? for? I reckon he's caught himself under the ball in no man's land there and thought, ooh, I'm going to have to go down here. You can use your hands. You can jump up and have another metre on anyone else. Why aren't you coming and clambering all over everyone to get that with your hands because you're right goalkeepers are a protective species if if he gets up and wins that he ain't giving a foul away there's no way there's a penalty being given i reckon he's just been caught in a soft situation there and thought oh crap um i'm in no man's land here and i need to do something it it, if he had given a foul it had been soft but you've seen it many times before but i'm not sure to be honest with you um we saw one at the start of the season the other way around, didn't we, with Onana coming out and basically clothesline in a Wolves player and no penalty was given there. So maybe there's a bit of unjust consistency going on.
0: But What I'm thinking there is is that in a season where Onana's not getting um, penalised for that, as a keeper, we've already spoke there, a, a protected species, you can just come and clear the lot there, can't you? Yeah. You can use your hands and jump, which means you know these keepers are... are tall blokes they've got massive wingspans on them so they should be able to reach higher than anyone can jump other than when cr7 decided in that game for juventus that he can jump 19 feet in the air he should be able to come and collect that ball or punch that ball or get to it and clear through add a bio i thought it was weak as piss and i said on whatsapp reminded me of young De Gea, where he just looked like a bag of bones in an oversized jersey getting clattered
1: about yeah, I mean, I'm not a goalkeeping expert, but I'm watching it now. He, like, meanders out to the edge of the six-yard box and then he makes the action to jump. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like a standing jump. He needs to be racing out and, like you say, just fl- you're not giving a penalty away. There's nothing he can do, basically, to give a penalty away unless he literally stands there and left-rights one of the strikers. So he can be aggressive as he wants to get his get his run up, get his leap and get that ball under any circumstances necessary. And he hasn't done that. And I think if I'm the Burnley manager in Vincent Company, I'm bollocking him after the game and thinking, you've lost us that game, not VAR.
0: Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. No, not
1: lost it, lost us the two points.
0: Yeah, well, it those two points are massive for Burnley, aren't they? The Luton looting, looting Holmes game, they've got to be winning if they want to stay up. And I'd want my keeper in the 90th minute there, as I said, to be... Uh, to clearing out there just a couple of results from the Premier League to touch on boys we have spoke on Cole Palmer um, scored against Fulham Chelsea won 1-0 I was absolutely amazed to see that uh, before United played Spurs Chelsea were above Man United and Newcastle I know Man United and Newcastle have struggled all season like with form but Chelsea have lost every single game this season by by my understanding and now they suddenly find themselves Above Newcastle and United. Pochettino obviously has been under kind of scrutiny about getting Chelsea going, but they're now three points off of sixth. So he could get them back into the Europa League and they're Europeanless again. If they can get a little bit of form going in this second half of the season, I know again, next time they play will be end of January and we'll only have a few months left, but there's still 17 games left for them they could potentially get Europe under Pochettino and then it's suddenly been a good season for them. If they can turn it round against Middlesbrough, which I expect them to do as well, get them to a cup final, where Ten Hag was sort of applauded for winning one uh, last year, he could end up having a sneaky good season, Poch.
2: Nah, nah. Uh, If he gets, say, seventh in the Conference League or Europa League, he'll basically be the least shit, shit team because Man United and Newcastle have dropped off. Like, okay, they've won three in a row in the Prem, but they were poor against Fulham and okay, you get the win, fine, great, but it was a terrible game to watch. Almost sent me to sleep and let's not forget they just lost the Middlesbrough in the cup. Um, so I can't see, I, there's no sign of Chelsea being able to put on a run and do well at the end of the season. And I don't, and I can say the same for Man United. I just think they are where they are, um, both those clubs.
1: Yeah, and like Chelsea have won four out of the last five in the league, but that is against Fulham, Luton, Palace, and Sheffield United. So we can't, this is a team that we've become accustomed to winning Premier League titles and even Champions League. We can't be saying that they're a good side again because they're beating teams that you'd expect to be in the bottom five. Um, that's bare minimum. So they've done, they've met expectations for the last five games, but for the season as a whole and the sort of trajectory as Chelsea Football Club still certainly isn't on an upward curve. They need to be doing a lot more. So, um, like you say, there's a couple of teams that are struggling a little bit more at the moment in this moment of time, but uh, we need to see a lot more from Chelsea. Because even in those games, like you remember the Luton game, they almost threw that away at the end. And all the games they won other than Sheffield United have been by one goal. They're not blowing teams away. They don't look a good side, but they have got a couple of good players that can get you over the line against the lesser teams. So, um, still a poor Chelsea side for me at the moment. And, uh, yeah, that that is one of those things that just makes... Eddie Howell's position look a little more in trouble. That's last week when we were talking about his job, I was looking at the Premier League table and thinking, blimey, if we're thinking Chelsea are having a crap season, Newcastle really are, but they have got different kind of expectations over the last five to 10 years of how, what a good season looks like for Newcastle and what season good season looks like for Chelsea. So sometimes it can be a victim of your own success. But yeah, far more to do for uh, for Chelsea before we start giving them much praise, I think. If
0: Wolves and uh, Bournemouth win their games in hand, they go above Newcastle as well and and dump Newcastle down into 12th place, which I I think would be very, very perilous for, for Eddie Howe. Um, one final game, boys. 0-0, Everton, Villa. Tomo touched on the uh, VAR point. We don't need to labour on VAR too much longer. Um, I think the big kind of news off the back of that game is A, Villa dropping uh, a couple more points. We spoke last time that not in the uh, the greatest recent run of form, albeit had some big results this season and home form has been really good. Um, but secondary off the back of that, Everton and Forrest. Uh, it's been broken today that they face further... Um, sort of charges from the Premier League for breaking uh, profit and sustainability laws. So obviously Forest, a new one for them, but Everton have already had this points deduction and now it looks like potentially going to get further
2: sanctions unless there's um, some sort of uh, reprimand appeal. Yeah, and look, it's obviously worrying times, especially if you're Everton, but worrying times for both those clubs. The only thing I'll say, it's quite difficult to comment at the minute um or given a, like a valid opinion because the sanctions haven't come in. They've just been charged. It's been referred to an independent panel to decide the punishments. Um, and the, the only thing I will say is that it's really strange that these charges and penalties that Everton and Forrest are getting and have got this season are coming at a time when we still don't know um, when Man City's 115 charges will be, um when that case will be settled and when their punishment will be dished out and they're on the verge of winning six titles in the last seven years so if they go and win the title again um without being punished and forest and everton um get their punishment before the end of the season it just makes it does make a little bit of a mockery of the premier league i think but it's difficult to know exactly um how serious these breaches are i guess until the sanction comes down yeah, I think the Man City one, um, because it's
0: it's almost so complex because of the number of charges and they're trying to group that up into a single kind of case. They can't deal with that as swiftly as some of these, which are like, I think the profit and sustainability is over a three year account cycle. So and that's for the 22, 23 21-22 and 2021 season. So it's a bit more clear cut with the accounts for that, whereas Man City's kind of long-term intertwined almost too many charges to be able to group up and put together into one case. But um, that that's what they're, they're being charged for. Uh, Forrest have come out actually and said that the Brennan Johnson deal for them um, happened in the August where he went to Spurs. They sold him for £45 million. They were going to sell him in the July to uh brentford for 30 mil um so they've made their 50 million pound better off but because of the account cycle that it's done against that 45 million doesn't sit within it so if they'd have sold him a month earlier they'd be 50 million pounds worse off but they'd have met the criteria for the profit and loss sustainability they waited till august where they did sell him for more money but that can't sit in that cycle so therefore they've breached it so um, I think there's going to be quite a long appeal process for that. But for your teams like Burnley and Luton, Everton already had a points deduction. Potentially, their way out of relegation this this season is Forrest and Everton getting the points deductions that would drag them right into it. Obviously, it's already done that
1: for Everton. Yeah, and I don't. You don't want to see teams going down because of points deductions. But like I heard that Forest argument today um, when I was listening to Talksport, and I think Simon Jordan basically said exactly what you've just said. They would have got less for Brennan Johnson so the the commercial viability of the deal was better in August and that should be priced into the thinking. But like you've just said, it's a three-year process so you shouldn't leave yourself in the position where you have to make a decision like that at the end of a three-year process if you're um, abiding by the laws. Do you know what I mean? If it was like a six-month um, window, where they're looking at your profit and lost sustainability or whatever it is, then I can understand that. But you've had three years, and they have been quite scattergun with their signings, particularly Forest. They've signed about 50-odd players, I think, in the last two seasons. So um I-, I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up getting sanctioned there. But if you think, like, these cases take, like, six months to a year to come to fruition and um something actually happen at the other side of them, and Man City have got 150 against them, I think I saw, I heard someone on uh, Twitter saying that Man City are basically just saying, "Well, if we've got 150 cases, we need 150 years to prepare for all of them." So we'll see you in in the year 2400. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look at the end of the day, look the, the rules; these profiting
2: and sustainability rules clearly have some flaws in them. But Laura, you're completely right. When these teams, if if they break the rules, they have to be punished because otherwise. Otherwise, what's the point in the rules in the first place? We might not like the fact that Everton may potentially get relegated because they'll be handed another points deduction. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to be relegated by getting points deductions, don't break the rules. It's as simple yeah. as that. So it's, it's hard to have any sympathy, really, with the clubs. Um, obviously, you have sympathy with the fans of the clubs. Um, but yeah, Forrest, when, promo- when they got promoted, they signed 30 first-team players. It was a joke. And everyone was like, well, how how's that going to happen? How's that going to work? And clearly, it hasn't.
1: Yeah, and It's a double-edged sword, because when you come up to the Premier League, there's an appetite from fans to spend as much money as possible and try and compete, isn't there? And if you don't do that, and you end up getting relegated a couple of times, like, for instance, Norwich did under Daniel Farker, because they didn't spend an awful lot of money, then you get reprimanded in that sense. So... I agree, and the points deductions is the only way to deal with it as well. Because if it's fines, everyone would just rather pay the fine, wouldn't they? It'd break the laws? It's, they're spending too much money in the first place, so it can't be a financial thing. It needs to be points deductions. And if you let Forest off, we'd let Everton off. Everyone else has got a precedent then to say, well, I want to get that off if we want to spend fifty million too much or whatever it is. So you're right. It's not nice seeing teams, um, particularly for the fans, get reprimanded with possibly losing Premier League status because of financial um, conduct. However, it needs to be done.
0: Just two final points on that. Forest have said that they feel that they've had less wiggle room. They have less losses that they were able to make than Premier League clubs because they um, spent a proportion of that time that the accounting's done in the Football League, which means that they wouldn't be able to have as as big a losses. But, I think to myself, Everton get punished for what they've done over the last three years where they might have spent within outside of their means and brought players in, which meant they've stayed in the Premier League. For clubs like Southampton, Leicester, Leeds last year, who've had to drop out of the Premier League and potentially what that looks financially for them as well, will they have a case if Everton get points deduction again to then say, well, hang on a minute, it's not just the here and now that Everton get 10-point deduction and still stay in the Premier League. What about last year if they wouldn't have been able to spend that money and couldn't have signed that player? would that have meant for us to stay up? Does it start to become legal cases in that then where lead Southampton Leicester lawyers are going, we'll look at what this has cost us
2: financially dropping out the prem. Yeah. Well, where does it end? And that's why the punishments need to be handed out the whole, the whole process. I think of it all needs to be dealt with a lot quicker and a lot more, um, streamlined and maybe a lot more transparent just so that, um, everyone knows exactly what's going on at all times. But, um, 'Cause it does feel a little bit opaque at the minute. But like I said, it's really difficult to, I guess, cast an opinion on something that where the punishment hasn't been handed out yet. They've been charged. Um, but say for instance that the like the punishment might just be like Laura said, a fine, and in which case they'll be happy with that. If if Everton get another ten point deduction, then wow, well, then then we can talk. But um, yeah, let's move on. Well, I, I just
1: think you're right. It does open the door to um, like lawsuits from the clubs that got, get relegated. But I do fear that if Leeds brought a case to the high courts against getting relegated in the season that Everton spent too much money, they'd probably just turn around and say, well, you appointed Jesse Marsh, I'm afraid. So I don't think <laughs> yeah. you've got a leg to stand on this time.
0: Yeah, defense lawyers got a clear-cut case there, are not they? Um, boys, some midweek action. Uh, FA Cup replays this week. So uh, Eastleigh versus Newport wouldn't always be a standout tie, but the winner gets United at home there. So massive for uh, for both of those clubs, and actually for United as well, be two teams that they've not played before um, in competitive fixtures. So it'll be a new one for United that as well. Bristol City versus West Ham is the TV option tomorrow on BBC One. Um, should be a good game. Bolton versus Luton highlight that as a potential cup upset. Luton obviously focusing in on. Uh staying in the Premier League might play a week inside. Um and Bolton have obviously got them back at their ground after getting a, a result at Kenilworth Road. And then uh if you want to watch a game on Wednesday on ITV, you've got Blackpool versus Nottingham Forest. Obviously, just spoke on Forest financial issues there. Move on to the championship. Uh so Coventry three, Leicester one. Tomo, I saw something posted that one of the Leicester players turned down going to represent his country at AFCON because he wanted to focus on getting Leicester promoted, but picked up a straight red, will now serve a free game ban, which ends the day before AFCON was due to finish. Is
2: that right? Yeah, yeah that is right. Yeah, 19-year-old um Abdul Fatuwu, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He got called up, I believe, for Ghana, um, but wanted to focus on Leicester, which... I don't really rate that to be honest but fair enough and then it was a reckless tackle wasn't it an absolute hes he flew into the challenge Um ref really had no option but to send, off, send him off due to the force but yeah you're right now suspended until one day before AFCON finishes so I wonder if he's just called up um, Chris Hughton, Ghana manager who by the way have just lost their first AFCON game last night and said I'm available but yeah, Um on the game itself. To be fair, I I was watching the the highlights, and to be fair, Leicester look they look pretty comfortable and look look the better team until that sending off, and then um obviously they get they get the red card down to ten men and Callum O'Hare. I don't know whether he started the game, but he come on potentially or in the second half got a couple of goals. And Laura, I think you mentioned he's he's just come back from a long-term injury and he's just forced his way, or he's just his performance levels are back to where they were before injury. And I found it quite interesting he mentioned after the game that he had been offered a new deal by Coventry, but he didn't have a clue what he was going to do yet. And that's a really interesting point, I think, because if I was Coventry and I had a player of his quality on the injured table. They could have. They maybe missed a trick there. They could have given him a new contract while he was injured. Um, I know that's risk riskier because you never know how he'll recover from the injury. But he would. I guess he would have been more likely to sign that contract because it would have been a show of faith to him to get back to his best. And now, it doesn't look like he's going to sign that contract. And obviously, he's a he's a really good player and potentially could make a move in the summer. Um, But commentary. Fair play to them. Win 3-1 in the end. And now they're in the playoff spots after, um, I think they're sixth after Sunderland's defeat to Ipswich.
0: Yeah, they are. And we spoke on Mark Robbins uh, last time and how he just seems to to do this every season. Um, Lauren, Leicester's manager Maresca, won the uh player of uh, sorry, manager of the month, which um I know can sometimes be cursed in the championship. Uh obviously just off the back of a defeat there, but I think you rightly called out that we've probably not given him as much airtime as some of the other managers in the championship. Obviously, spoke at length about Russell Martin last week. Um just want to come in a little bit on the job he's doing at Leicester.
1: Well, yeah, we just I just think that we speak about a lot of championship managers every week. We speak with Daniel Farker at Leeds, we've spoken about And Kieran McKenna at Ipswich, Russell Martin at Southampton, but Maresca, this is his, I think he had a stint as head coach at Parma, but really he's been an assistant, I think, to maybe Pellegrini at West Ham and then Pep at City. This is his first managerial stint. And although there's a train of thought to suggest that, well, anyone should be able to get Leicester promoted, it, it doesn't work like that. And to be seven points clear of second place, whereby second place have had a really, really good start to the season as well. Normally, probably be 10 to 15 points clear at this stage on 65 points after 27 games. I just think is worth mentioning that for his first English managerial head coach appointment, he's doing really, really well. And he's not trying to overcomplicate it at Leicester either. He knows he's probably got the best squad of players in the league, and he's getting the most out of those players and that squad and making sure that... um they're picking up three points rather than trying to be clever about the way that they're doing it. And he's managed to keep a lot of players seemingly happy that should really be playing in the Premier League. Because if you put Leicester's best starting eleven down on paper, it's probably a top half Premier League side.
0: Yeah, he's doing an absolutely fantastic job. Obviously, if they go on to win it, I think normally um, manager of the year tends to be who wins the championship, doesn't it? So I think that he'll uh, he'll go on to do that. But with their loss, obviously a bit of a uh, bit of jeopardy there and back to seven points with Ipswich beating Sunderland so Ipswich 2 Sunderland 1 Tomo Man United's manager for 2030 Kieran McKenna big win for him and uh Chaplin back in the goals
2: yeah a really big win and that, and to be fair um I didn't watch the game I just watched the highlights cuz uh, it's on the same time as Newcastle Man City but the, but both games started to get uh, sorry both teams started the game well um, both teams creating chances. Jack, Jack Clark opened a scoring with a really good strike, um, and then you thought potentially it's another one of the like the blip continues for Ipswich, and but then they got the the equaliser. If you watch the highlights, they play they play such good football. They always play through the lines from the back really quickly and really well. And um, okay, the equaliser came probably through a little bit of a deflection that ended up in Jackson's feet. Um, but he finished well um, to equalise. And then Sunderland had a massive chance um, to go ahead in the game again. Um, Ipswich's keeper made a horrendous error, but I am really can't pronounce this guy's name, but it's Adil Achucci. He come, he come on and he basically missed an absolute sitter. And then from that point on, it looked like Ipswich had the game in the bag really. And Leif Davis, we spoke a lot about him at the start of the season, someone who I didn't even know his position, um, but he's made the most assists, I believe in the championship this season or, or one of the most assists. And he crossed in an absolute worldy cross and Connor Chaplin, even though he's one of the smallest players on the pitch, he rose highest and um, had a bullet header, go past the keeper. So Look, I think that's a really impressive win for them because, like you said, we spoke a lot about their, I think, their five-game winless streak. Um, so it was a good good time to, to get a win. And obviously, with Leicester dropping points, um, they catch them up as well.
0: And just the next fixture for Ipswich, uh, next Monday, Monday the 22nd, Leicester away, uh, seven points in it at the top. So absolutely huge game that if Ipswich can go and win at Leicester, then that will blow that championship title race uh, wide open. Laura, obviously a uh, great result for Ipswich, uh, a loss for Sunderland and already starting to see murmurs of the Sunderland fans um, about the job that Michael Bill's doing and not being particularly content there, um, calling for Tony Mowbray back.
1: Yeah, well, if you're going to appoint a manager whose last position was a poor one, and Michael Bill going to Rangers and um, shit in the bed, so to speak, up in Scotland is what happened, then you're going to be under pressure straight away and you need to hit the ground running really because it's not like there was a a big change that needed to happen at Sunderland. They sacked Tony Mowbray and the week later they were in sixth place. So he had them playing well, players playing out of their skin. We mentioned Jack Clark and... Bellingham and Roberts and people like that before. There was no need to sack him. Some of them fans probably know that. Couple that with the appointment of someone that is underwhelming and you've got a recipe for disaster. And every time they lose a football match, straight from the off, they're going to say, told you so, told you so, because they already don't want him. Do you know what I mean? It's not a a manager that everyone welcome with open arms and said, let's give him a chance. It was, no, we think this is the wrong appointment and we're going to tell you every time he loses. So... (laughs) <laughs> nowhere near as bad as the Rooney one at Birmingham, but I think another poison chalice for Mick Bill and probably a poor appointment from Sunderland. And it all stemmed from, which is very similar to Birmingham, a poor sacking in the first place. And now Birmingham have Tony Mowbray. It's funny how football works.
0: Yeah, it is. And Sunderland need to be really careful now. They've dropped out of the playoffs. Obviously, we spoke about Coventry picking up three points, they've gone up into sixth. Uh, one point behind Sunderland now. You've got Watford, Hull, and Middlesbrough on thirty-nine points. You've then a further point behind that. Got Norwich and Preston on thirty-eight points. Before you got Cardiff and Bristol City, who are all within touching distance as well on thirty-six, um, thirty-seven, and thirty-six. So right down to fourteenth place, you got people four points off the playoff places there. So um Sunderland need to be really careful with that. Uh, I'm not saying that they're going to be as reactionary as to get rid of um Michael Bill so soon, but you can quickly in the championship fall away in that playoff race with a couple of uh, defeats. Laurie, one person that we spoke uh, on the last pod about was Adam Armstrong. And is he one of those players who was in between championship and Premier League? I don't know if he listens to the pod, but uh, it seems like he took that personally because he went and scored a goal and got three assists in their home win against Sheffield Wednesday, but uh, four 0 Southampton, massive result for them.
1: Yeah, and another day retaining the Pyramid Pop Cup and I was uh, <laughs> looking at our new mate Alfie House's tweets over the weekend and it sounded like Southampton probably put in a, a season best performance this weekend and, and so did Adam Armstrong, like you say, with his three assists and a goal. So it sounded like they were up against a really good Sheffield Wednesday side who were, sort of came to be aggressively pragmatic, if that makes sense, but they just got blown away by a very good Southampton side. And when you don't crumble under the pressure of being on an unbeaten runner and having to keep tabs on the teams above you and keeping touching distance and still putting performances like that, playing free-flowing football that we know that Russell might likes to, it's, it's a really, really good sign. But one thing I will say is the next game is against Swansea, and we marked that last week about him going back to his old club, the manager, and uh, that may be, in, may be a sticky wicket for him, and uh, it would be poetic if it, it, all, it all came crumbling down there. But Southampton are a real player in the... Uh, in the Championship now, aren't they, for promotion? And uh, yeah, there's only two spots and probably four or five that are in it for automatic. So, looking good for Southampton at the moment.
2: I think there's an argument to say now that these three, the three teams that got relegated last season are the best three teams ever that got relegated. Because if you just look at Southampton's um goals and assists of the, on the weekend, you obviously got Adam Armstrong, I think he scored one, got two assists... Ryan Fraser scored his fifth in his last five games. Um, Carl Walker-Peters was involved in the last goal, which was probably the best goal of the, the game. And um, I think he laid it off to, I think I want to say Stuart Armstrong, who laid it off to Adam Armstrong, who put it on a plate for that Sekumara, Mara, who's a really promising young French forward. Um, and then when you look, uh, we're going to speak about Leeds in a minute, but we obviously spoke a lot about Leicester's squad. And then you, you you look at Leeds' squad, it's just like these these teams, and I've seen a lot on Twitter that where everyone's saying that the 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 gap between the Premier League and the championship's only getting wider because of the financial disparity. But actually I just think this season's a one in a 20-year season where you've got the likes of Luton, Sheffield United and Burnley really struggling, and then these three clubs um I know they're not dominating because of Ipswich but they seem to be dominating the championship really well and their squads are just they just seem to be so strong all three of them.
1: Yeah as a three they're definitely the the strongest group of relegated teams that have come down for years I think. Yeah. Um and it, that's credit to Ipswich to be in amongst it con- considering they were in League 1 last season it's amazing really. Um but you're right any of them any three any two of the three that came down you'd probably expect now to be the two automatics. And then it's, can the team that fall into the playoffs um, survive that kind of lottery? Which, if it's Leeds, the answer will be no. I can tell you that now. But if you want to quickly touch on Leeds, it's three and three now for Patrick Bamford, who uh, has displaced Joel Pirro in the team and is starting leading the line for Leeds. They've dropped Rutter back into number 10. So at the weekend, we had the usual two of the usual four suspects scoring in in Dan James this time and Jorginho Rutter, but Patrick Bamford extended his scoring run. So maybe that uh, confidence of his goal against Peterborough last week has um, kick-started a goal-scoring return to form for him. Hopefully, I keep saying hopefully because he scored three and three now, he is in scoring form, but because of the sort of three years we had prior to that with him, I'm going to reserve judgment until he scores a few more.
2: Just before we move on from the Championship, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to... um... Jonathan Rowe, Norwich City's um, I guess midfield I was an attacking midfielder, really. He's a bit of a um but he's chipped in this season with eleven goals already. And if anyone who hasn't seen his goal against Hull um on Friday night yet, I urge you to go and watch it because it's an unbelievable goal. He's got great feet and it's one of those outside of the book outside of the boot finishes um that go into the the bottom corner. And it really reminded me of um Adel Tarapt in his QPR championship days where he just almost had his way with the championship defenders and 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 he's obviously been um, Norwich's best player this season. And we spoke a bit about that game against Hull, Fabio Carvalho's debut, but Jonathan Rowe was the star of the show.
0: Yeah, he was. There's another good goal in that game as well. I saw Tyler Morton, who um, you've got Fabio Carvalho, who's um, gone to hold. But I think he's a Liverpool player as well. Tyler Morton, who was at Blackburn, but he scored a great goal as well. Um, too little, too late for hole there. But yeah, uh, Roe tearing it up. Just wanted to quickly go back to the um, Southampton Swansea game as well before we move on. That's half 12 on Saturday on TV. So potential... Uh, chance for the pyramid pod cup to change hands there and speculate in a little bit but if swansea were to win that their next game is against bournemouth in the fa cup so could potentially see the pyramid pod cup jump up to the uh the premier league so be interesting to see uh when southampton's winning run comes to an end uh if it does come to an end or certainly not losing games boys move on to league one we'll start on a um slightly sadder tone, so uh, the Bolton game was abandoned at the weekend um, due to someone had collapsed in the crowd, unfortunately they did pass away, so just want to send the condolences out to him, his family and obviously the uh, rest of Bolton for that in the rest of the action though uh, in first place, Portsmouth, they lost 3-0 against Leighton Orient, Tomo, we touched last week about uh, Portsmouth being in no form, obviously being the top of the table, but Leighton Orient in much better form um, and it's not that Portsmouth have just
2: kind of lost that game there.
0: They've been absolutely thumped free now.
2: Yeah, you are right. But if you watch the highlights, it's probably a little bit tighter than that because a couple of the Leighton Orient goals were set pieces. So obviously, bad defending all around, really. The first goal was really bad defending. But I think, was it when Leighton Orient were 2-0 up, Colby Bishop had a penalty? Um, and we spoke a bit about Colby Bishop recently I think he scored a couple games ago and didn't really celebrate and he he mentioned after the game that he's been going through a bit of a tough time well it seems like that tough time's continued because his penalty was an absolute shocker and he missed it and it felt like the writing was on the wall after he missed that penalty um and now like you just said one one win in six games for Portsmouth they're still top of the league um but all the teams around them have got games in hand and it feels like they really need to change their momentum because um they're only going one way at the minute and that's down yeah i mean
0: 3-0 down at half time i know they did miss a penalty but that's now one win in six in their last uh league, last six league games um and you just kind of look at that i know that obviously they we've spoken on a previous pod that they've got a manager who was you know playing last season um, but that that's really worrying for them. And what was looking like Portsmouth potentially looking like a shoe in for one of those automatic places. Now with the teams that have got games in hand, they could find themselves uh, in fourth place behind Peterborough, Bolton and Derby. So worrying times for them and probably something that the manager, um, senior, needs to stop the rot fairly quickly on there. Just spoke there on Peterborough. They went and won away at Charlton. Um, player called Mason Clark. Um, scored a brace for them. So, Efron Mason-Clark, young lad, 24, similar to what Peterborough tend to do, go and pluck a player from non-league. I think they got him from Barnett. Uh, he's now got 10 goals already this season. So, Peterborough absolutely flying at the minute, uh, up into second place, uh, albeit Bolton and Derby got game in hand on them, but they're only one point off of Portsmouth now. There are also wins for Stevenage, Barnsley, and Oxford, who are obviously keeping pace at the top of the table. So it's really hot and up there. Everyone catching up points on Portsmouth. Tonight you've got Derby versus Burton as well. Um so Derby again be looking to to close those the gap there to to the teams at the top. So gonna hopefully stick that on the TV in a bit. Just Moving a on quick just one on that. On just a quick yeah, one, Murphy. On,
1: on just credit where it's due. Um to be balanced. We talked about Des Buckingham, and I didn't think he looked great in his first meeting with the players, and then it was a sticky start. But he has won four and six now, and that's a quite a competitive league at the top there, and he's keeping tabs, uh, or keeping pace, should we say, with your Portsmouths and your Peterboroughs and your Boltons and your Derbys. So, not bad form for Oxford. They want to get at the weekend, and fair play. He's got some wins under, uh, under his belt now, so hopefully they can kick on and uh, be a player, certainly in the playoffs, but maybe even in the automatic shake-up. So, well done, Des Buckingham um maybe proving me wrong but let's see
0: yeah good point
1: yeah good point we do need to uh call out when people are
0: defying our expectations uh so yeah well done to des to oxford just one final point uh boys did you see the Redin pitch protests that happened at the weekend i think they've had a few different uh scenarios where well, i think they've been throwing tennis balls on the pitch i want to say in like protest about their owners but um they took to the pitch this time, and from what I can read into it, it looks like Port Vale fans who they're playing against as well, rather than obviously be kicking off about the fact that the match has been abandoned. Apparently, some of them went and stood in like solidarity
2: with Reading. But, Tom, have you got a little bit more on what the situation is down there at Redding? Um, Well, Dai Young, the, um, the owner, the Chinese billionaire owner, has been fined from the EFL um, again today. I think another 50,000 quid. And basically told to, and it seems to me that he's asset stripping the club, and it's really, it's a really bad situation. I I do, I, I did hear that um, Simon Jordan had a go at the fans for what they did on the weekend, but the difficult thing is if you're a Redding fan, they see they feel so powerless in these in these situations. They don't have any say on what's going on, um, and the club is getting asset stripped right in front of their eyes and they, they they feel like they can't do anything about it. So they've protested on multiple occasions this year and obviously Saturday came and they 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 felt like they needed to go one step further and they got the game abandoned. Um it's really worrying really because they're a big club, obviously former Premier League club and you just hope that the ownership can change hands so that it doesn't get run into the ground and become another case like Berry
1: one really, I mean, firstly on the Dai Young, he's owned football clubs before in China and they folded. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of that, but we talk about like fit and proper person's test to own a football club in England. It's unbelievable that you can pass the scrutiny of that having liquidated football clubs in the past. No, no I will disclaimer, I don't know the intricacies of that. So please don't come after me of a lawsuit. I'm not the... Um, financial saver of Reading, if that's what Di Young's thinking, listen to this podcast. But one really interesting thing that I heard today about that abandonment is it looks like they're going to give the three points to Port Vale, which I think is unbelievable. Obviously, there's been a protest from the fans against their, um, their owner. And as you've just said, Port Vale fans and even their players, I think, were sort of stood in solidarity with them. Um, and now the football league, they've had to postpone the game or whatever, or abandon the game. And the football league, I think are looking into just giving Port Vale the free points. Now I've never seen that for an abandoned football match before. And to implement it in this circumstances and the context of this situation is ridiculous. Cause all you're doing there is punishing the fans even more. And Reading are free points below the drop zone. So it yeah. couldn't be any more seismic that. Um, so I'd urge them to rethink that. And, uh, even if you've got to play it behind closed doors, play the game. Don't just give the three points to Port Bell.
0: Yeah, I mean, in a a club that finished eighth in the Premier League in 2007 to now being on the cusp of going into League Two, is there any other Premier League clubs that have sort of dropped down into League Two? Anyone who's gone that far down? Radford. And... Yeah. yeah.
1: Bradford's... I mean, they're was in, Swindon the in the Premier
0: and... that Swindon in the Prem or was that football? Not quite established in the prem then. They were definitely in the top flight, Swindon. Yeah, well, they Old, might have been. What well, well, Oldham in the, the Oldham first? Was... They Oldham no, in the, the prem. Yeah, Oldham
1: in the prem. Swindon yeah. might have been. That rings a bell. Um, did Portsmouth go down to League Two? Maybe. I'm not sure. If not League One, but they've been. I mean, they were a proper Premier League club. Won the FA Cup, didn't they? And they've been. Th- but yeah, I mean, it's a fall from grace, isn't it? Yeah, it's a seismic um, drop off. I think for 21 years they're in League One, even this season. So to go to League Two have been absolute travesty. But when it cut, I mean, completely different scale. But we had a similar type thing at Yeovil. And when it comes to talking about the future of the football club, you almost don't care about the league. Like no one really cared in the end about the relegation last season. We just wanted the club taken over by someone that is at least going to put some care into it and maybe put a plan in place to go the other way. And I think Reading fans would probably take relegation now if it meant that they could have an owner come in and. We, I think we spoke about in this pod maybe a couple of months ago about Mike Ashley and I was ridiculed for saying that that might actually be a a decent fit for them. I bet they take Mike Ashley now um, over Di Young at Reading.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, sounds like anyone's better than than the job that he's doing. But yeah, hopefully that can be resolved Um don't like seeing that sort of happen to, to clubs and you say with Yovel they've gone championship to National League South now but seem to have got an owner who cares about the club putting some money into it and looks like better times afoot for them so hopefully reading can get a similar resolution uh for, for their fans Boys, move on to League Two. So, um, Notts County, they seem to be involved in games like this all the time. But Grimsby 5, Notts County 5. I actually looked afterwards, Tomo, to see how many uh, McCoy Langstaff had got. But I think he only got one. But uh, Dave McGoldrick had got a brace as well. But a uh, nice moment at the end of the game with uh, Grimsby player netting a late equaliser to make it 5-0 and then running to the side of the pitch and dropping down and doing the worm.
2: Yeah, well, an, an inverted worm I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. pull him out on. I think he slipped during the celebrations and then saved saved face by pulling out the worm. But yeah, obviously a mad game. Um one thing that I've wrote down on my notes actually was I, I I noticed that John Bostock gave away the penalty um for the first goal. So I had a little <laughs> obviously we all know he moved to Tottenham, didn't he, when he's very young. So I just wanted to have a look at his career path i guess he's only 32 feels like he's been around forever um but he's played in canada he's played in france he's played in turkey um he's played in belgium and now he's obviously at knox county um knox county are his 15th club of his career um but yeah look mad game I think McCauley Longstaff, like you just said, he only notched one, but a typical Longstaff goal, or Langstaff, sorry, goal, um, where it was a proper poachers finish, and it was his 20th goal of the season. So, obviously, the first player in that league to get 20 goals, and we spoke a lot about him in the last podcast about potentially making a step up, and obviously, if he carries on scoring at this level, why not? Um, We made a point, I think he's 26, just about to turn twenty seven. He's basically coming into his prime. So, um, yeah, so uh, I do think he's got a higher ceiling.
1: Another thing just to mention on that game is, I don't know if you boys have seen it, and it might be worth us finding and clipping this up and putting it out afterwards, but Jody Jones, um, who plays for Notts County, he's also a Maltese international. Um, sort of, it used to be like an attacking midfielder slash striker, but he's sort of utilised it as like a left wing back for Norwich uh, Notts County. He got four assists at the weekend and it should have been like six or seven. He had an absolutely gravy game um, and I think he's highly rated and he's done really well at Notts County anyway. But the highlight sort of real from that game that I saw of Jody Jones yesterday looked absolutely unbelievable and he just skinned the right back and put these unbelievable deliveries in every single time. So uh, fair play to Maltese International Jody Jones for that one. Brilliant advert for League Two football. We want to see five balls. And you're right, John Bostock, Um, sort of seems to have found a home in Notts County he was good for them in the National League campaign last year albeit tried a Penenka in the final and hit the bar but other than that um, yeah he's been a good good addition for uh, what was Luke Williams' side for the last couple of years and uh, they've got some good players in in Notts County but so have a lot of teams in League 2 now and that's why we keep calling it the Hollywood League it's probably the best league in England John Bostock um, spoke about all those clubs he's played for, 15
0: clubs, uh, season pro, been here, there and everywhere, um, coming towards the end of his career, uh, three months younger than you, Tomo. Moving on. Stockport 3, Warsaw 1. So uh, a team that have, again, been in uh, no form recently, Stockport, some of these teams at the top of uh, Championship League One, League Two, struggling a little bit. Stockport been one of them, but they managed to uh, pick up a three-one win against Inform Warsaw. So uh, Aloff back in the goals for them. Paddy Madden scored as well. So hopefully a bit of a turning of the tide there for Stockport because I think quite a few tipped them to go up
2: automatically. Just um, a quick one on that. Um, that Tanto Olaf Ola, Ola or, or I'm not really sure. Yeah, Olaf. He was he was Salford's number one January transfer target for the striker position last season. I know you you know you guys know I like to reference these documentaries that I watch, Um, but that was his fifteenth goal of the season. So, (laughs) rightly so, they target him because he's been he's been class for them. He scored three last season, though. It's weird, isn't it, how
0: it pans out like that? Like he the that's just life as a striker, I guess. You just blow hot and cold, and sometimes you need that breakthrough season, and then you kick on and have them every year. But he's still, you know, he's twenty four. He's only a a young lad, but um, yeah, good decision by Stockport and um, good to see Paddy Madden back in the goals as well so at the other end of his career, but still a uh, a bagsman. I think he must be getting close to double figures again this season. But yeah, good win for Stockport. Another team keeping the pace, Wrexham. They won 2-0 against AFC Wimbledon. So, Tommy, you said you love a documentary. Uh, good result for them.
2: Paul Mullins score? Yeah, and just a quick shout out to their fans because I think it was their biggest league crowd since 1980 which the commentator mentioned on the highlights 12 and at the race course um which I think is the biggest difference I would say between their takeover of Wrexham and the class in 92's takeover of Salford it feels like Salford's almost a non-league club that they're trying to turn into a league club whereas they've just taken over a non-league club in Wrexham who were a league club and they yeah. are a big club in their own right and now they're getting big fans. Their ceiling is much higher, I believe, than Salford's because Salford's average attendance is like 2,000, 2, Um, But when you look at some of the players that are playing for Wrexham, obviously we spoke a lot about Paddy, um, Paul Mullen, sorry. Um, but the first goal, Steve Fletcher scored again. Um, McLean was the, the man who made the assist. And then Fletcher and McLean um, combined to set up Mullen's goal for the second. And now Wrexham have won eight straight home league wins Um and they look like they look like they're probably favourites to go up now, I'm, I know um, there's a lot of good teams in that league but they look like they're, <clears throat> they're banging form Yeah, i just
0: say on that um, Salford-Wrexham, that's like chalk and cheese in it, like Salford's like a, a non-league side where they've not had many fans and, and the class of 92 have decided to invest in them because it's close to United Wrexham are big squad. It's same as like that FC United of Manchester, and there'll be other cases of that, won't there? Like where they're, they're I don't want to say man-made because all of the teams start off like that, but they're more modern day creations, aren't they? That probably are t- people's second teams. But Wrexham's like a a, a big club with, with a big fan base. So it be interesting to see how quickly it is till they're uh, playing um sort of the likes of Cardiff and and Swansea and things like that in, in league games, albeit that'll have to probably be the championship. So it'd be a couple of years off minimum, but yeah, good win for them. Just a round up of um, the rest of the action at the top of the table, Mansfield and Barrow both dropped points. Um, I think probably for Barrow, rather disappointingly, they drew two all with Sutton who are right down there uh, in the table. They're down in 23rd place Sutton. So and Mansfield just having a little bit of a wobble um, after being tipped by a few to, to go on and win the league. They have now dropped points in their last couple. So um, yeah, nothing to panic about too much. But just uh, they wouldn't want to lose too much more ground on Stockport and Wrexham at the top there. Just one final bit on League Two, uh, boys. Did we see Troy Deeney's post-game rant after their loss versus Harrogate? Basically called out all of the players, but Loro called out uh, one player in particular who took a penalty at Wembley for Coventry um, and obviously he has gone to Forest Green now, uh, Darbo, but ripped him to shreds live on radio
1: yeah and I just think that's an untrodden path for a reason I mean how many times do you hear a manager come out and say something like that about one of his staff publicly one of his players publicly and it go well and for a player like Darbo who I'm already surprised to see in a league two club and a quite small league two club in Forest Green considering he was obviously involved in Coventry's team last season to be taking a playoff penalty uh, playoff final penalty to which he missed to send them to the Premier League. Obviously already someone that's probably got a few demons in the closet because that's not a nice moment being the reason why your team haven't gone up to the Premier League and got promotion. To find himself in League 2, I'm sure um, his performances haven't been very good because otherwise Troy Deeney wouldn't wouldn't be saying it in the first place. But there's a time and a place to be saying those things. And I agree with most of the stuff that's been said. Darbo needs to know that his manager doesn't rate his performances and wants more for him. But to come out and say he wouldn't get a kick in the National League to everyone in the country, I'm not sure what good comes out of that. And I don't think it will bode well for Troy Deeney's managerial career. Um, So, at the very best, it's a lesson learned for Troy. I think he's already apologised to the player. um, But it just depends what reaction that garners from the team, which I can't imagine to be very good. He's completely
2: lost Darbo now. Like Darbo he'd probably be the bigger man and accept the apology um face to face, but he'll probably be like, he's not for me. There's no way you can get called out like that. He basically said he wouldn't he wouldn't he had one kick away from playing the Premier League um last season and now he wouldn't get a game in a National League standard. And he said and that was one thing among many things that he said about him. Um yeah, just advised is probably the best way you could describe that.
1: I also think Troy Deeney hasn't really earned the respect as a manager yet, has he? It'd be one thing if it was an experienced manager, like Neil Warnock, for instance, coming out and doing it. You could probably get away with it. And the players are like, oh, God, all right, I went not upset Neil like that again with a crap performance. But Troy Deeney, the players are probably look at him thinking, mate, you've been a manager for five minutes. And now you're coming out and doing stuff like that in the media. We you think you're shit, mate. And that's probably how it will go. So, Forest Green, bottom club in the whole of the EFL, I think. They're either 23rd or 24th in League Two. They've got a manager who's never managed before, who is now calling out his players publicly for being crap for nine weeks and not even being able to get a game in the league below. Doesn't seem to be a good fit at the moment, does it?
0: But this new stadium is going to be made out of recycled material. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. right? Every cloud. Yeah, indeed. Um Laurie, just one final bit as well on to. I've seen that the Swindon managers has uh, been sacked. We've obviously spoken a little bit about them losing Kemp and Young, who they had on loan. I think both are now being linked with, with further January moves from their parent clubs, um, but not looking good for them. I think they've lost seven of their last eight as well, and where potentially they were up in the playoffs not that long ago. They're now down into 15th place, not too far off the relegation uh, positions, but not looking good for them as a club.
1: No, and I don't. I think from I don't know what the Swindon fans' reaction to Michael Flynn losing his job has been, but they haven't been very pleased. I don't think with their owner for a while now, and they've relied on sort of loans and free transfers, etc., which many clubs have to do, particularly lower down in the leagues. But when you can see the likes of Notts County and Wrexham and Mansfield and all these clubs having a right go at it, it's probably hard to take. And the problem is for Michael Flynn in terms of sticking up for his position. Yes, they did lose. Jake Young and Dan came back to their parent clubs. But they were already 16th in the league by the time they left. So even with their goals, they were 16th. Maybe the owners have looked at it and gone, blimey. We've lost our two best players um, who were loaned. We're already 16th with them. Where are we going to be if it carries on like this? And you are taking away their attacking prowess. So uh, probably one that you could see coming. But football management's hard, isn't it? You can see that. Like He did a wonderful job at Newport. He, he had a famous sort of... Um, last day of the season's uh, survival game where they were going to go down to the National League and they ended up um, uh, winning the game in the last minute. I think it was that Irish defender that was on under the cosh with a heart problem recently that scored the goal and that was quite a big famous game and sort of made Michael Flynn's name. He's had some brilliant results in the FA Cup for Newport. They beat Leeds who were pre- uh, I think were Premier League or Championship at this time. They, they beat Leicester who were definitely Premier League at the time. Um, they beat Middlesbrough as well over two legs. So For a club like Newport, he seemed to extract an awful lot out of them. But since then, he's gone on to Warsaw and now Swindon and been sacked pretty quickly by both, which, again, your stock can rise very quickly, but it can also fall very quickly. So it would be interesting to see where his next job is in football management, if there is one.
0: For Swindon, I guess they need to consolidate now get someone in who can just get that group of players going for the last couple of months and make sure they stay in. Uh, lead to I say they're not too far off the relegation positions points wise they've got a little bit of a buffer but uh, only three wins in their last fifteen lost ten of those so they'll need to pick up some sort of form over the the next few
1: weeks it should be a fairly good job for someone because Swindon's a you know quite a decent club quite a big club for League One um, who are known for having some interesting appointments and decent players over the years and it's almost impossible to get relegated from league two. You have got to be absolutely crap to fall into those bottom. Cause there's only two that go down four go up, but only two go down. Um, and there's normally one, most seasons out of the last five or six, someone's had a massive points deduction. Um, so there's, it, then it makes it only one go down realistically. So, They're not going to get relegated this season, Swindon, but they need to find a manager who's going to point them in the right direction again, maybe on a bit of a shoestring budget compared to the rest of the league. And maybe Michael Flynn wasn't the experience or didn't have the experience to be able to do that. But I'm sure there'll be plenty of managers out there chomping at the bit to get in at the county ground and see what they can do.
0: Definitely. I've just had a look at Sutton and Forest Green uh, in those two relegation uh, positions Both having a terrible season. We just touched on uh, Troy Deeney there. It's not been going well for Sutton either. So, yes, yeah, Swinney should be safe. Just uh, need someone to come in, consolidate for the rest of the season and hopefully point them upwards uh, next year through League Two. Boys, that's uh, all we've got time for today. Um, just want to ask to our listeners. So, if you do listen to the pod, can we just ask um, for you to subscribe and review? Uh, five-star reviews only, though, uh, for the pod. If you listen on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts, Uh, that really helps us out but we're also now on youtube as well um all our episodes are uploaded on there if you want to have a watch as well as a listen um at pyramid podcast is our channel again if you can like and subscribe uh that will obviously help us greatly um thank you all for taking the time to listen obviously but yeah if you can just do that subscribe in reviews uh likes on the however you do listen or watch the pod that would be much appreciated but we'll be back on Thursday uh, review the midweek FA Cup replays look ahead to the second half of the Premier League action during the winter break and another weekend of EFL but pleasure chaps cheers cheers boys hold tight One, two.